can I just add to that? You know, we, we've uh, found out just a couple of years back when in a foster care system how things kind of changed uh, socially in terms of with uh, the budgets that happened with our foster care families. A lot of our families ended up with, they used to have some money to be able to go out and buy stuff for people, then ended up where they didn't have it anymore and they were just handing down stuff. So, so can, I just, can I just tell you this just as a dad and just as somebody who I'm sure Guys, listen, we get an opportunity. We, we can't maybe wrap our arms around a kid every single day, but I'll tell you what you can do is buy them some new stuff, right? There's nothing worse than a high school kid trying to figure out what he's going to wear for underwear. Come on. New underwear. Amen. Can we just pray for these little guys? Can we do that? Jesus, thanks for an opportunity to um, do something simple like this. Lord, to, to most of us, it ends up being something that we can just add on to our lives, God, but to... To them, it's just another measure that somebody gives a rip. So, Lord, I pray that somehow in the midst of this simple love campaign that you would just show yourself really big and maybe even set somebody free as the result of a pack of socks. I don't know how that works, but, God, you do. So have your way. We love you, God. Be with these guys, God. Bring them peace in the middle of their chaotic, crazy world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well... We know how God feels about Cam Newton. <laughs> or at least how I feel about Cam. <laughs> Not kidding. Hey, listen, uh, last week, if you weren't here with us, I want to remind you that we had our family meeting, right? A lot of churches have business meetings. PSCC, we don't have, fam- we don't have business meetings. We have what we call what, our family meeting, right? That's where we all come together and we talk a little bit about where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. If you weren't here this last weekend, go online, you can listen to it, or you can watch it, because the video's been up and posted, and you get a chance to see that. Just remember, the camera adds 10 pounds to me, so when you're watching, you'll understand, right? I'm telling you, no, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you didn't get a chance to see it, please do, and uh, you'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to celebrate with us a bunch of where we've been, and be excited about where we're going, so come and join us with that. It's really important that you do that. The reasons we do our family meetings in the middle of church service. I still talk to pastors all the time who will say like, wait, so you do your business meeting during church? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, when do you do yours? Four o'clock on Sunday afternoon so no one shows up. I'm like, I don't want that, man. I want everyone to show up. So a bunch of you came. We all celebrated and clapped. And again, if you have any questions about anything we talked about, please come see me and I'll give you some answers the best to my ability. Amen? Awesome. Hey, listen, uh, this week we're starting a series that I'm calling The Creed. Right? I'm calling the creed. I, I have this sense in my heart that God is really wanting us to really shore up our foundations. In other words, I, I have this sense in my heart that as God has been growing us as a church, as he's been healing us as a people, that, that we have to come back to knowing what it is that we say we believe. I, I love the fact that we finished off our worship t- time this morning with singing that song, the creed. Why? Because we declare emphatically what it is that we say we believe. I, I want so desperately for us to tell, our, to, to tell our hearts what it is that our lips are singing. Right? I want to make sure that we can really say that we believe this stuff. Why is it so imperative that we believe what we say we believe? Let me tell you why. It's because we're living in a time of a massive turmoil. We're living in a time when truth is kind of, well, whatever you make of it. We're living in a time when wind and waves blow real hard and there's nothing absolute about our culture. I gotta believe if the Bible is what it says it is, that it's absolutely true, it's always been true, and it will never, ever, ever change. 
And if you don't believe that, I'm telling you, I'll do my best to try to help you see that. But the Bible that we read never changes. It always is and it always will be the truth. Can somebody say amen? amen? It's the truth. I want to talk to you about Bible doctrine. Now, there's no way we could cover every doctrine that's out there. There's no way. But I want to spend the next five weeks talking to you about five fundamental doctrines, right? The word doctrine is just the Greek word that means teaching, right? Something that we, need, we hang on to as teachings. I want to give you five that we're, that, that, that we're going to hang out on to just for a few weeks because I want to make sure that you get those deep within your heart. For the last 2,000 years, every Bible-believing church that, that talks about Jesus Christ like you would talk about Jesus Christ believes fundamentally in at least these five doctrinal teachings, right? These five truths. And I want to make sure that we spend some time unpacking it. You know what doctrine is, Right? Doctrine. Doc- doctrines, well, doctrines like, uh, let's like this. Doctrines like an, an anchor. I don't know if you know what this is. It's not a grappling hook. It's an anchor, right? The anchor, right? An anchor. You know what an anchor's for, right? The anchor's to kind of hold something still in the water. Right? An anchor's there when, 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 when uh, you want to stop your boat long enough, you just kind of drop your anchor and it sits in there. And that's what holds your boat still in the midst of, well, it just floating off by currents. I mean, some currents can take you off five miles in an hour. I mean, it doesn't take long for the currents of the ocean or whatever to pull you away. And this anchors there just to leave it there to hold you in one spot and, and keep you, right? You, you, you face your boat towards the wind and you drop your anchor and you pull out five to one per rope and then drop it in there, right? And just hopes that you don't lose your boat. It's interesting about anchors, right? There's, there's several different kinds. I mean, if you go on, there's, I didn't even, I, I, my research was a bunch. There's a whole bunch of different kind of anchors, right? But th- there's a primary uh, common thread in anchors that are, are typically true. You know what they are? Is that an anchor is there to be set, and when the wind and waves get harder, they sink in deeper. I don't know if you realize that, but they're designed so that when the, the wind and waves pull on the anchor, it's supposed to drive it down deeper into the sand or deeper into the bottom. Because an anchor is not just to sit there and just sit on the bottom and just hope that it can just grab on anything it bumps into. An anchor is designed to what it's, it starts to have the, the pressure and pulls of life that it actually sinks deeper and deeper and deeper. Doctrine is like an anchor. Doctrine is like an anchor, something that we hang on to, something that we set our lives to. And when the wind and the waves and the pressure pull us, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. We hang on tighter and tighter. An anchor's there to not be moved. An anchor's there to keep you in the midst of the storm. An an anchor's there to keep you from drifting off course. All too often, we leave our anchors up on the boat, but we hang our rope down into the water because we want to make it look like we're anchored to something. We just kind of leave it there in the water, and people drive by, and they say to ourselves, look, he's anchored to something. Certainly, look at that. I can see his rope dangling in the water. But unfortunately, our anchor's sitting up on deck and the winds and the waves and the pressure just push us everywhere we, well, everywhere it wants to go. I want to talk to you this next several weeks about truth that doesn't move and when it's pushed and when it's sought out and when it's dug about, that it does nothing more but go deeper and deeper in your life. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm, I'm hungry for something that doesn't change. I'm hungry for something that stands true. I'm hungry for something that, that lasts the test of time. We live in a world of styrofoam and cardboard and people having an opinion. We live in a world that's, that, that's subjective and, and, and every, every decision that can be made can just be changed because it's what we feel. 
We live in a world without absolutes. We live in a world where your truth is what your truth is, and if you believe it, then I need to support you in your belief. We live in a world that simply says things as crazy as, if you believe you can fly, and you push yourself out of a window and decide to fly, that I'm supposed to support you in your, well, brief flight and not warn you about the sudden stop at the other end. We're supposed to say, you can fly, you can fly. That's the world we live in. Isn't that ludicrous? That's how we live, right? We're just supposed to stand there and applaud and say, well, you might be right. You, you are a fish. We, we stand and support that. Instead of, what, here's my question. What is true? Is there an absolute truth? Is there a truth that doesn't change? Is there a truth that sinks deeper under pressure? Because if there is, I want it. If there is, I want to build my life on it. Amen. Ready for that? Hmm. Five truths I want to talk to you about. Five fundamental teachings I want to talk to you about over the next several weeks. Number one, I want to talk to you about the doctrine of the Bible. The Bible in and of itself. In other words, is the Bible really God's word? Number two, I want to talk to you about the joy of salvation. That salvation is by grace, grace through faith. Salvation is the greatest love story ever told. I want to talk to you in a couple of weeks about the Trinity. What in the world is the Trinity? Does the Bible even say the words Trinity in it? And what is it that the Trinity really is? That it's God three in one, not three gods. What does the Bible say about Jesus? I want to talk to you about Jesus. Jesus, the God-man. Who is it that the Bible says Jesus is? And finally, I want to talk to you about what happens after this thing that we call life. I want to talk to you about life after death, your eternity. And what in the world that's really all about? These are five doctrines. Five doctrines that every Bible-believing, Jesus-believing church for over 2,000 years have ascribed to. And for some reason, we've decided to kind of change the rules at times. And I believe it's time that we go back to the anchor of truth. And we hang on because the pressures of life are coming. And if you've not experienced them yet, you will. My question for you is when the pressure comes, does it pull you out or does it sink you deep? So will you join me as we embark on this journey? And just pray with me right now as God would set our hearts to receive what he has to say. Jesus, thanks so much for an opportunity to share your word. I pray that you would help us to see and hear what you have to say. Lord, doctrine can be um, super heady. Lord, doctrine can be super boring. Doctrine can be just a bunch of information. But Lord, if it doesn't lead to transformation, then God, help us just to stop and and move on. Because I know doctrine is something we stand true to. And in the midst of of shifting sands, God, will you help us to find something that doesn't change? We need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bible doctrine. What is Bible doctrine? Bible doctrine. First of all, the Bible doctrine is this. God superintending human authors so that using their own individual personalities, experiences, thought processes, and vocabularies they composed and recorded without error his revelation in the original copies of Scripture. In other words, God spoke through man. (laughs) He used their intellect. He used their emotions. He used their culture. He used everything that he could possibly use in the context of humanity to communicate his divine Scripture without compromise and without fail. Amen? Amen. Let's go home. Amen. That's what it is. The problem is is that most of us can say that but not necessarily believe it. 
Because there's too many people I bump into throughout life, Christian people who come to church, lift their hands and say hallelujah just like we do. And non-Christian people who want to and don't know why, who say, you know, Lance, the Bible, yeah, I get it. You know, I hope, but yeah, it's kind of mostly true, I'm sure. But you know, there's those things in the Bible, you know, Noah, Ark, lots of animals, rise. <laughs> you know, the, the, the sun in the Bible, standing still for a whole day, <laughs> rise. Jesus walking on water, <laughs> feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, get real. See, we bump into these kinds of things, and some of us actually swallow some of that and think to ourselves, like, you know what, maybe you're right. I just want to level with you. It's either all true or it's not true at all. And if it's all true, listen, if it's all true, what on earth are we doing? If it's all true, then how is it that we're living our lives with such a cavalier, flippant relationship with our Bible? The living, breathing words of God. How is it that we forget in the mornings to read our Bibles and spend time with the king of the universe? If it's all true, then what are we doing? My my hope and desire today isn't to convince you of facts and figures. My hope today is to convict your heart, if you will, that God would convict your heart, that there'd be a moment where you would say to yourself when you look in the mirror, what was I thinking? And get serious about tying up to an anchor that only sinks deeper under pressure. Second hmm. Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says this. But now, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been made by an act of human will. But men were moved by the Holy Spirit and sp- that spoke from God. We live in a world of, ex- uh, of all sorts of crazy subjectivism where everything is relative. At some point, we need to come to the place where we realize that if this is really true, then it'll change how we live, breathe, walk, talk, and carry ourselves. Because if it's not, then what are we doing here in church? Let's just go do our own thing. Hmm. The Bible, is it really God's word? The Bible says of itself over and over again that it was inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, the Bible says of itself, is God-breathed or God-blown and is useful correcting, teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible says that of itself on our behalf. It just wants to tell you, hey, look, this is inspired by God, right? What does it mean to be inspired by God? Literally, the word inspired actually means to be breathed of God, to be blown into the heart of man, right? So you would think that God would want to do it right, you know, and somehow just dictate stuff and say, say it like this, don't deviate from it. The great thing about inspiration is that God inspired man, but then he allowed man to use his own experiences, his own emotions, his own culture, his own time frame to be able to communicate through, right? In other words, man had the ability to steer the ship. Really what inspiration is like is like, well, uh, a sailboat. It's like a sailboat where the wind blows the sailboat along. Now the pilot of the sailboat can decide, turn left, turn right. 
the pilot of the sailboat can say, drop the, drop the sails and just bob around the ocean like a whatever, bobber. He could do that all he wants to, right? But the truth is, or he could set your sails and let the wind take you, and you use the power of the sails to tear, turn where you want to go. The inspiration of the Bible was given through man by God so that it could be led through them. Why? Because God incho- he chose to inspire us through, human- through humanity to communicate his word substantially by the Holy Spirit. It would just seem to be so much easier if he would have just said, like, bam, there it is. Wouldn't it? But would it? Because I can give you all the facts and figures you want and hopefully get you all twisted up in your head. Or I can tell you this, there is nothing more, there is nothing more transformative than seeing a transformed person. Because when the living, breathing words of God impact you personally, <laughs> that's way more than any argument I could ever come up with. See, I actually convinced myself that I could give you enough facts and figures to convince you scientifically. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, it almost never works. You know what really works? Not scientific stuff, but transformative stuff. See, because when when you come up to somebody and you say, you know what, you don't have to believe it if you don't want to, but he changed me. He healed me. He he transformed me. (laughs) Trust me, that's more than any scientist can ever fight with. Here's the great thing about a relationship with God. Here's the great thing about the Bible you hold in your hand. Listen to this. You don't have to believe it if you don't want to. It's your choice. You're crazy if you don't. Because it is the living, breathing words of God. There's so much substantial factual evidence around the fact that you hold that thing in your hand. The crazy thing is there are people whose blood has been shed all over this planet in defense of this little book that you hold in your hand. In fact, some of those guys defended their lives, defended this book with their, defended pages of this book with their lives. And most of us have translations of our Bibles in the hundreds. All scripture is God-breathed. How do you know something is historically accurate? I mean, outside of the context of the Bible, how do you know something is historically accurate? I'm glad you asked. Here's three things to help you verify something historic. The historical documents. First of all, know this. You can write this down if you want to, to impress all your friends, right? To, To determine or verify something is historically accurate. First of all, the closer that the, the closer to the event that this particular thing is written about, the more accurate it possibly has of being accurate, right? The closer to the event something was written, the more accurate it could possibly be. The nearer the author was to this situation, the better off you are that it's right, right? And the more documents you have of the particular situation, the more apt you are that you could verify its proof, right? In other words, if I were to say to you, hey, uh, someone tell me about what happened last Christmas at the Christmas Eve service that we had here, right? Somebody could say, um, hey, I wasn't there last year, but I was there the year before, and someone told me about it. You could write it down and say, well, this is what they told me, that Lance came up and read a story, and this kid sang, it was awesome, and whatever. You could go on and do that whole thing, right? Or you could say, hey, I was there, I saw it, right? Let me tell you, the, the, the person who was closest to the thing that they were talking about is more accurate, right? The person who was, who was nearer the thing or the, the nearer the time frame that it was written, if there was something written about it on January or December 25th, right after the Christmas Eve service, the better are we are that it's more accurate. And the more people who wrote about it on December 25th, on this, about December 24th, the more odds we are that we're accurate. Does that make sense? Not rocket science, I promise, right? So we, here's the funny thing. Most of our history was, was uh, an oral version of our history. Most of the history books that we have were really built upon oral tradition. 
In other words, a lot of times they would sit down and say things that had happened for centuries and centuries and centuries, and then someone would say, shoot, we should probably write this down. And then they wrote it down, and therefore it became factual. For example, uh, Julius Caesar and the Gaelic Wars, that happened, right? Julius Caesar and all of his crazy triumphs in Rome and all the wonderful things. Did you know that most of those writings were written a thousand years after Julius Caesar even lived? Because the oral tradition told the stories over and over and over and over. Somebody a thousand years later said, we should write this down. And they wrote it down, and we say, that's exactly what Julius Caesar did. Hmm. And we go on a little further. Demosthenes, I don't know if you know Demosthenes. He's this Greek orator guy, this guy who was, uh, who was known for the fact that when he was 20, took his parents or legal guardians to court and got his, uh, re, uh, what do you call that, um, inheritance ahead of time because he proved that they were un- incapable of giving it to him because they were using it all up. But this was an oral tradition that was spoken of a long time. Somebody finally wrote down some of Demosthenes' things because he apparently was a pretty smart guy. But the things that are written down about him were written 1,200 years after he died. But we take that as absolute fact. Plato, some of you have heard of Plato, right? Not the stuff you give to your kids, but Plato, right? The philosopher. That was funny. (laughs) Nobody even chuckled, right? Plato, right? Get this, Greek philosopher, this is a great philosopher. He wrote all this stuff. You know what? The things that Plato talked about because it was an oral environment that they lived within, finally somebody wrote stuff down, but they started writing stuff down that he actually said 1,300 years after he died. Homer's classic, The Odyssey. How do you guys remember that? Heard about that? It's a poem that was actually written about this guy who was uh, in, in this military battle of Troy and uh, all these things that had happened, right? And his wife, uh, Penelope, went out. It's this poem, right, that was performed and quoted for centuries, man. It was just over and over and over. People finally, somebody finally said, you know what, we should probably write this thing down. And so they wrote down Homer's Odyssey because of its original form was only oral. It was finally written down 1,300 years after he died. No, I'm sorry, 2,200 years after he died. And currently there are 643 copies of that. Hmm. The Greek New Testament, you know the one where Jesus is in your Bible? You flip on your iPhone, right? that thing, Jesus, right? It was actually written 50 years, 50 to 100 years after Jesus rose from the dead. 50 to 100 years, right? Anybody in here over 50? A couple of y'all, right? Some of you know what happened, right, 50 years ago. Like it happened, right? I remember we were, uh, my birthday was a couple weeks ago, and in that process, we were, they landed on January 28th, and uh, you know, it happens that every year. It's the same day. It's crazy. Anyway, January 28th. Like there's a lot of things. There's a couple of like rockets that blew up on January 28th. There's a couple of them that did. And I just happened, because I remember them, watching them on TV, I remember seeing that, right? My kids were like, wow, Dad, really? You saw rockets like go over? Yeah, I watched it on TV. It was in black and white. It was awesome, right? <laughs> but, but, but here's the funny thing. It's like I, I, I remember that stuff, right? Now, I didn't sit there and watch the rockets go up. Personally, I got to see them on TV. But you see, I was able to give an account of that thing. Did you realize the Greek New Testament was written between 50 and 100 years after Jesus rose from the dead? Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? And we have currently 5,600 copies of the original text. 5,000. Closer to the original time frame. Closer to the person who was actually writing it because they were first-hand accounts of Jesus at times. First-hand accounts. Peter says, Jesus there, 5,000, holy smokes, walking on water, me to him, ha! 
Write it down. Nah, it can't be true. Come on. There's over 5,000 copies that, you might say to yourself, like, copies, come on, copies. Everybody can make copies, right? You got it all wrong. You don't understand. In an oral tradition, in an oral oral heritage, you have to understand something. When something was written down by Jewish people, it was written down, like, with more seriousness than you could possibly. These people who wrote stuff down in the Bible were called scribes. Scribes were people whose lives depended upon everything they wrote. It's not just like, wow, oops, made a mistake. Sorry, white out. It wasn't none of that. If you're under 20, you don't know what white out is. I'm saying, backspace. All right, I'm just telling you, so white out, right? You get that, right? The understanding, that, that whole idea, right? Oh, scribes, listen to this. Here's some of the rules of a scribe. Scribes, when they would sit down to write the scriptures, here's what they would write. No word or letter must be written from memory, ever. What? In other words, A, A, Z, Z, D, D, B, B, comma, comma, period, period. I mean, they would just go on. Everything, you had one thing at a time. You couldn't just like, I know that verse. I've written it a few times and write it down. These were the living, breathing words of God. Hmm. Another scribe would also believe this, that between every consonant on your page, there must be the width of one hair of a head. Between every parashah or section must have the breadth of nine consonants in it. No more. The fifth book of Moses must terminate exactly with a line. The scribe must sit in full Jewish dress and wash his entire body before he sits down to write. The scribe must not begin to write the name of God with a, with a, a pen newly dipped in ink because it might bleed on the paper. Should a king enter him or address the scribe while writing the name of God, he must not take notice of the king walking into the room. More often than not, Jewish writers wouldn't write even the names Yahweh or G-O-D. Sometimes they would just write G-D because it was too awesome to write. Folks, I want you to understand something. These guys just weren't a bunch of people who had nothing better to do than write stuff down that somebody else wrote. These were the living, breathing words of God, and they staked their lives on it. You don't understand, if a king walked into a room and you didn't stand up, death. But if you're writing the name of God, you keep your head down and you just keep on writing Yahweh. These were, we have over 5,600 copies of the original text. The Dead Sea Scrolls did nothing but confirm. What are the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls are these scrolls of the original, a whole bunch of the original New Testament and some of the Old Testament Isaiah, book of Isaiah, were, were, were hidden in a cave uh, back over in Israel. They were hidden in a cave that, that, that some of these guys, the, back, just long story short, they were hidden in a cave. Some little shepherd boy was running around one day throwing rocks, right? Because boys throw rocks. Throw rocks and hit, here's this crash, goes in there and finds this, Big jar filled with a bunch of, well, New Testament writings, original. And a whole bunch of the stuff that we had already had, we'd already had, they they took and compared the two exactly the same after centuries old. Folks, things you have in your hand are the living, breathing words of God that have not changed. Hmm. These words were written by authors, 40 different authors, ranging from peasants to kings on three different continents in three different languages over the span of 1,500 years. Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Asia, Africa, China, all of these different things that happened. 1,500 years. Do you realize the airplane that you fly in? You know, the airplane, the thing, the airplane has only been around for 113 years. 
1,500 years, these guys ranging from peasants to kings, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, and everything that they possibly said true back then came true right here. Everything. Do you realize that there are over 300 specific prophecies that Jesus was going to be, who he was going to be, where he was going to be, and that he became? 300 at least prophecies of Jesus, and every single one of those came true. The odds are, get this, if uh, just the odds for 11 of those 300 to come true, you know what the odds are? One billion, one, uh, what is it? One in one billion times a billion that 11 of those 300 would actually have come true. One in a billion times a billion. Folks, I'm telling you, the thing you have in your hand are the living, breathing words of God, and they've lasted and stood the test of time. They were written by peasants and kings. They were written in the middle of time, in the middle of war, in the middle of peace. There's poetry. There's, there, there's snide, funny little comments filled inside your Bible. And every single one of them lead to one conclusion. It's simply this. How to find your way home. See, the purpose of the Bible isn't to tell you how many stars are in the sky or how many sands there is on the seashore. The purpose in the Bible isn't to tell you how the, 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 the moon revolves around the sun or how we do. It's not to tell you all that stuff. That's awesome and all, and we can learn a lot of stuff, but I'll tell you what. The purpose of the Bible is, well, to give you instructions on how to find your way home. It's kind of like if you were to uh, buy a barbecue at Costco and go home and try to build it, but when you opened it up, all you saw was instructions on how to build a swing set. right? And if you've ever built either one of those things, in Jesus' name. You try to start building a swing set and you've never spoken in tongues before, it will happen. Right? You just got to make sure that your tongues don't sound like swear words, right? That's not tongues. That's bad words, right? So, so I can tell you this, right? But why do I tell you that? Because what happens is people are like, yeah, well, the Bible doesn't talk about, the Bible doesn't talk about. <laughs> Folks, the reason the Bible's there was to give you instructions on how to get home. It wasn't to tell you how deep the water is in the ocean. Awesome and all. But that's not the point. The point, I love how God was just like, look, I got to make it really simple for you guys. I'm going to make it really simple. One, one, 66 books. I'm going to give you 40 different authors. I'm going to give you 1,500 years, so at least you'll believe this stuff. I'm going to give you three different continents, three different languages, so you'll at least be able to buy this stuff. So go ahead, one message. Here's what we do. Eh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And we anchor ourselves to nothing. We wake up in the morning and we say, I don't have time. We look around and we're like, I don't know, shoot, really? We find ourselves drifting everywhere, bumping into everything, believing anything that shows up. Because, folks, if this is the really living, breathing words of God, I have one question for you. What are you doing with it? Have you anchored yourself to the truth? Or do we find ourselves just kind of waffling from one thing to the next? And when the wind blows us, we go. Out in the, the mezzanine there, I, wrote, I have these things right here. It's called, um, right here, PSCC. I wrote it right here, uh, PSCC. No, that's not it. Who's got the thing? The, the Bible reading plan. You got one? There you go. You got one, Nate. Thanks. It's Bible reading plan, right? Nothing fancy. All it is is simply this. It's just a Bible reading plan. It's called Read Daily, <laughs> right? I promise. You can see it from there, Read Daily. If, you have, if you're 20, you can read that, right? So, um, Right? And I tell you this right now, all it is, literally, is it's the scriptures between now and Easter, daily reading. Right? Why in the world would I take the time to have one of my team sit down and figure all this out, what the readings could be? And then I wrote down the instructions, the five questions for our Lexio Divina. But why would I do that? <laughs> I'm going to tell you this right now. I actually believe this stuff. 
I think that the living, breathing words of God are that which is gonna change you. I could preach until I'm blue in the face and try to convince you of everything I possibly know, but there's nothing, there's nothing like the living, breathing words of God that cut between joints and marrow, that bring healing and brokenness, that set captives free. As I was praying for us yesterday and even earlier about this message, I I kept on asking the Lord, I was going, God, how do you want me to deliver this message? Just drop a bunch of facts on people? And this is honestly what I heard him say. He kind of whispered to my heart. I, I could confirm it by just what I heard in my spirit and other people. Here's what he asked me. He said, ask people this. Ask them how they feel about my word. In other words, I had this sense in my heart that some of us need to, some of us need to repent. What does repent mean? It just simply means to acknowledge. Acknowledge where we've been, but make a decision to where we're going to be. Some of us need to ask God to forgive us for how flippant and cavalier we've treated his word. Some sort of like, well, I'll add it to my life or I won't. My challenge to you isn't so that you'll believe it. My challenge to you is that you'll decide to give your life over to it. Pastor Omar came up here and said, hey, let's tithe and trust Jesus. I could get up here and say, hey, let's go to the men's retreat. Let's do all these things. And let me tell you this, it's pointless we don't believe the word of God. So I want to pray with you today. Can we? Jesus, thank you for your never-ending, unfailing, solid truth of the word of God. Father, I pray today that you would help us to see your truth for what it is. The truth. We help us to do more than just give some sort of a mental agreement and some sort of a, a high five spiritually and say, yay, God. But Lord, that there would be a moment of massive conviction and even some this morning as I sit here talking to you that perhaps you need to repent and you need to ask God to forgive you. Go right, right now, just you and him. Jesus, forgive me for how cavalier I've been with your words, the living, breathing words. And God, I pray that you would help us Restore us. Drive home the truth in us.